Welcome to Field Lake. I'm your host, Bill Smith. On this episode, we're going to highlight two new products that were recently introduced at the Commodity Classic by the Helena Products Group. It's no secret that water is rapidly becoming a very rare source in some parts of the country and around the world. We visit with brand manager Austin Anderson and Dr. Aaron Hurt as they introduce Resgenics to the agriculture market for the 2023 planting season. Plus, biologicals are certainly catching a lot of buzz in the marketplace today. Brand manager Mike Powell and Dr. Nick Hurdle introduce us to a new enzyme seed treatment for soybeans called inertia. These two experts break down the advantage of having an enzyme placed directly on the soybean seed for optimal performance. And finally, commodity market commentary from Jody Lawrence with Strategic Trading Advisors from Nashville will join us. So stay tuned for this episode of FieldLink. Joining us today in the FieldLink podcast studio is Mike Powell. He's the brand manager for a new product that was recently uh introduced at the Commodity Classic called Inertia. Mike, welcome to FieldLink. Thank you, sir. Also joining us is Dr. Aaron Hurt. Uh, Dr. Aaron Hurt uh, did a lot of research in this area also uh, this year. And Aaron, welcome to FieldLink. Thank you. Well, guys, today, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you had an opportunity to introduce this new enzyme product uh, to soybean producers at the Commodity Classic to share this new product that's going to be coming available for the 24 season. Mike, tell us a little bit about inertia. Well, you're right, Bill. We we had a really good time at the Commodity Classic this week uh, talking to growers about this new product. And I've been amazed at the reception that we've been getting with this, with this new enzyme product that we're going to have available in 24. Um, it, inertia basically is a, is an, I like to say it's an extension of what we've already been doing with our VersaShield formulation enzyme technology and selling Zypro since okay. 2019. And what we have today is an enzyme that's able to go on to a seed for soybeans okay. to give those same similar results of having an enzyme that's going to uh, prepare that area where that young seedling is going to germinate and have it ready so that it can help it grow more roots and make those roots more effective in, in taking up the nutrients in its young life. Yeah, and I think I think it's really important. You know, this uh, past week at the Commodity Classic, Mike, the whole industry is talking about biologicals. It's It was everywhere. I mean, every little 10-foot booth's out there. But, oh, Helen has been involved in this space for a really, really long time. And, and as you mentioned, uh, inertia is – Built with versus shield technology, that just wasn't created overnight. No, not at all. the The roots of versus shield formulation technology goes way back to 2014, really, uh, where it was basically invented by um, a couple of scientists at the University of Missouri. Okay, and uh, they've they've got the patents on it, so we have the license to use that. In our, you know, we basically have an exclusive license to use that patent for soil amendment, okay. and now today for soybean seed treatment. Wow! So uh, it certainly is a different uh, animal, and you know, there's a lot of chatter, a lot of noise out there about biologicals and 
biostimulants and so forth. Um, but we're talking really about enzymes today. Yeah. What's the difference for the average grower out there to understand? There is a huge difference here now. Yeah, there's absolutely a huge difference. I mean, when you get into the microbe, you know, everybody's talking about microbes, as you've already mentioned. Sure. They... I'm not saying that they don't work. They can work if you can get them to the field and you can have them available. Right. But part of the problem that I've seen, and, and of course, we tested a lot of those, Bill, when uh, we were uh, looking for a product in this space. I just couldn't find a microbial that was consistent because it's got to stay alive in the jug. It's got to stay alive in the tank mix. And there's a lot of do's and don'ts with that tank mix of what a farmer or a retailer can do with mixing those products to even get it to the farm to where it can perform. Right. Um, the, the, the big thing with first shield formulation technology enzymes are, is they're protected. You can use them a lot like chemistry. Mm. Um, they can go into a mix and they fit the way a farmer uh, is farming today. You don't have to worry about your water, your pH, your soil, uh, if you're putting it out with a fungicide or an insecticide, you can put it in with confidence and know that when it gets to the soil, it's going to work and go to work, uh, providing the benefits. And some of those benefits are you get the uh, results that you would get out of a microbial. Because in the end game of a microbe and what does the work is it produces enzymes. So what we're doing is kind of shortchanging that system and giving the active ingredient of the microbe and it can go to work immediately in the soil, pro providing the grower the benefits. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, Dr. Hurt, you had an opportunity to evaluate inertia here recently. Tell us uh, a little bit about some of your findings that you found with inertia. Yeah, I'm excited about this product because we've already seen a really nice Keep nice response from, from Zypro for the last, since 2019. Now we're being able to bring that to a seed treatment offering in soybeans. Uh, what we've seen in our testing is pretty dramatic, and it's similar to what we've seen with Zypro. We're seeing that consistency that we don't see out of the biologicals that we've evaluated. So that consistency in early early stage root growth, uh, root growth to set up that plant for success for the season. We're, we're allowing that uh, that plant to be ready to take up the nutrition in the soil. This product helps with nutrient cycling. So that's one of the things that we've seen in the results. So in 2022, we did a, a 12 location study looking across the Midwest and the South. We saw really positive, consistent results where we see a 2.4 bushel increase in yield. We're seeing a four, over 14% increase in root mass. So that's that response from those enzymes going to work in the soil, setting up that plant as it's germinating in the soil where we've got those enzymes to work ready for the, uh, for the season. Yeah, and one of the neat things about some of those results that you're talking about, and Mike, uh, the cool thing about inertia is it is a seed treatment. So we're putting that enzyme that's protected with VersaShield right on the seed. So really from a handling standpoint, after that product's been treated, it, 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 it's farmer-friendly, ready to go to work, correct? Correct. That's, that's what, you know, the growers that I visited with over this week, this past weekend, and the people that I've been talking to, even in the development process, it just fits. Mm -hmm. You can mix it with any soy, uh, soybean seed treatment system that someone's already doing, it's a low use rate. It can be added right into the slurry, so it's it's ultra easy. Uh, it's a low cost point, uh, low cost investment that's going to give the grower a big return. Uh, if you do the math on the testing that we did, Aaron mentioned two point four bushel across twelve locations this past year. Right. That's over an eight to one return on a farmer's investment for just 
put it on my seat. Right, right. And and again, it comes back to that convenience level. There's not a lot of extra time invested, and the the outcome appears to be pretty good based on some of the R and D that Aaron and his team have done. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, how can growers experience inertia this coming season, Mike? Well, we have a very limited amount of material uh, that we've got out basically in the hands of some of our salespeople across the country. Sure. I think we've got some in about 45 locations. Okay. Um, But it's going to be sold under our um, experimental number. Uh, So, under the name HM2163. Uh, but, you know, the real thing with that is to get s- some of our locations and sure. our people are familiar with it. Uh, I've, I've, obviously, the uh, demand is a whole lot bigger uh, right now. More people are wanting that than we can supply the product for today. Right. But we just wanted to set the stage for the 2024 growing season, get some people talking about it so that everybody can get a hold of this next year that wants it. Yeah, and I think one of the key here, uh, key points here is you're going to have this spread out with different uh, technical agronomists and field trials across the country uh, where soybeans are pretty dominantly grown. Um, and, and, and growers can definitely contact their Helena representatives to see where some of those local trials are at uh, for those. I know we're having a big field day here in, in, in Memphis on uh, July 18th, and growers will certainly have that opportunity to preview inertia. Yeah, we're going to be talking about it at all the field days, and I think most of our people will be. So just kind of, again, trying to set the stage for a a big launch in 2024. Great, great. Um, Dr. Hurt, any other uh, highlights that you want to point out from uh, your experience with inertia this year? Yeah, I think in our testing we had some um, experiences that I think are relevant that will translate to a grower, and that was related to that handling aspect that Mike mentioned earlier. Um, you know, we have a lot of precautions when we evaluate biologicals that we have to tell our researchers to be careful about. Chlorinated water, what it's mixed with. They can't be mixed with phosphorus-containing fertilizers, things like that. That can be a challenge that's also going to translate to a grower. Right. And with Zypher and with inertia, we don't have that issue. That, that stability that we get from that VersaShield formulation technology really translates to ease of use, as we mentioned, and we've seen that in our testing as well. I think that's a phenomenal point when we talk about ease of use, where these kind of products that are pretty new to a, really the market and, and biologicals can be sensitive due to you know weather and temperature and time and water and who knows what else. But these VersaShield uh, protected enzymes like inertia as well as Zypro uh, have that layer of protection and flexibility for growers to use. And I, again, I keep using the word farmer friendly. Well, great. Um, guys, I want to thank you both for joining us here today on FieldLink as we introduce uh, the marketplace to this exciting new seed treatment called Inertia, bringing uh, enzyme technology to the soybean industry. Welcome to this week's FieldLink podcast. This is Jody Lawrence flying solo. Bill Smith is on assignment elsewhere, as they say in the television business, and want to thank everybody who came out to Commodity Classic to visit with us and uh, to sit and talk about the markets. Appreciate uh, everybody's time and good to sit down and get to know everybody a little bit. Uh, Very active markets lately. The biggest thing is 
another one of these black swan events that we seem to be getting more and more of, and that's the banking crisis that's slowly developing. It started in the U.S. at the California Bank and has moved over to Credit Suisse, a major bank in Europe, and that has unsettled all the markets, the equity markets and the interest rate markets in particular, and that spillover has certainly made its way into the ag markets over the last week to 10 days. Uh, Today uh, is Monday, March 20th, and it was a little bit better, but there's still a lot of uncertainty because these things, as we learned in 2008, the last financial crisis that we had, that these are very slow moving and could be uh, could be days or weeks before we find out if there are any other casualties because of mismanagement or just the way the interest rate structures have been going on since the world federal banks have been trying to control inflation by raising rates. So the big thing in the, in the markets now is uh, as we get to the end of March and head towards some early planting in areas, is going to be the March 31st stocks and seedings report. That's the biggest known event that we have on the books that will move the markets. The USDA will come out with the quarterly stocks. They will also give us their estimates from the surveys that they sent out to the farmer of how many acres are intended to be planted this year. Uh, We've heard private estimates as high as 93 million acres of corn, largely because of the nitrogen uh, products having fallen so much as natural gas fell since the first of the year, uh, but a more normal increase just simply because of rotations and other uh, considerations is that the number will probably come in about 91 million acres for corn and somewhere between 87 and 88 million acres for beans. And those two are going to set the baseline that everybody will think about, and then Mother Nature takes over. We are seeing some interesting variations as we transition today on the first day of spring from winter into spring is that we have the most snow cover in the northern Corn Belt and the wettest uh, soil conditions, subsoil moisture, in a lot of the Corn Belt that we've seen since 2019. And this is certainly not to ring the alarm bell, but this is a very good uh, indication when you have this much moisture and uh, in a transition, especially in this uh, La Nina, El Nino uh, transition that we're in the middle of, that you do see some stranger things. And 2019 was the extreme of that strange thing as the U.S. ended up with 11 million acres of prevent plant, which was the all-time record. Way too early to get too worked up about that. But it is something to consider when you start thinking about a cool, wet forecast, a lot of snowpack, and all of the melting and the subsequent drying that will have to happen before everybody can get in the field. So the transition from winter to spring and the the March acreage report is always a big time, always influential. But when you throw in all of the other things that we've seen this year from the Ukraine war, 
uh, still raging. And another factor in this is uh, this weekend, the extension of the Black Sea Export Corridor was announced, but it was only extended 60 days instead of the normal 120 days that the past two extensions had been. And Russia is gaining some leverage by only extending it 60 days, because within that 60 days, uh, Ukraine's winter wheat harvest will just be beginning, which means they could cut Ukraine off from exporting their harvest, which uh, certainly is leverage. And also the uh, the tur- the Turkish elections are going to be in that time period, and Turkey's pres- current president is very pro-Russia, while his opponent is not pro-Russia. So several factors there, but for the time being, we will be uh, operating for the next 60 days, next two months, that there will be grain coming out of the Black Sea, which will keep uh, world cash prices for corn and wheat a little bit depressed. The uh, other news as we move around is that the uh, Chinese uh, Premier Xi uh, flew to Russia today, and they are in the middle of some negotiations to extend some packs and to start working more closely together. And that is going to be a concern for uh, U.S. on a lot of different fronts, because the more aligned China and Russia get, the more problems we're going to have dealing with both of them and getting to normal relationships with either one of them, especially China on the export. So a lot of things going on as we sit here on March 20th, and uh, not uh, not any of them particularly bullish, which is frustrating. Uh, best news about all of it is the February price insurances were set at a very high level, uh, but 20 days later, the markets are trading well below that. So uh, some ha- some help there, but still not the most positive news as we sit here. As we get closer to Argentina's harvest and South America's harvest, we do know that Argentina's bean and corn crops continue to decline despite some weekend rains that really will just stabilize some areas. Their crops are going to be anywhere between uh, 30 and 40 uh, percent below last year, and the uh, the actual totals are that Argentina's bean crop is going to be just about 700 million bushels below last year, while corn is about 530 million bushels. And those are st- those are very relevant to the world as we try to, uh, you know, generate some more demand. And if we are short bushels that Brazil's big crops and additional acres can't make up, then uh, we will see we will see some support from that, and from the fact that Ukraine is fully expecting this year that their production is going to be down nearly sixty five percent in both corn and wheat, and their edible oil market, sunflower oil in particular, from the pre war levels in. 2021. Uh, So an interesting time as we sit here uh, that frustrating because the prices have fallen uh, because of other outside market events. But there is a lot of fundamental news that should put everybody in a position of uh, 
being able to be patient with the sales you've made, with the insurance revenue coverage that you've purchased. And as you start to get corn and corn seed and bean seed out of the bag and start planting in the next month to six weeks to see how Mother Nature treats us this year and how everything unfolds. Okay. So with so much still going on as we finish up March and begin April in the critical spring season for Northern Hemisphere agriculture, there'll be a lot of twists and changes as we move forward. Just remember the biggest thing is going to be the March 31st stocks report and to pay close attention because that may be the report that moves the markets to give you an opportunity to sell a few more bushels. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's FieldLink podcast, and back to Bill. Joining us on FieldLink is uh, Austin Anderson. Austin is a brand manager for the Helena Products Group, and Nick Hurdle, who's in research and development, also for the Helena Products Group. Guys, welcome to FieldLink. Thanks Thanks for having us. Awesome. Today, guys, uh, you, Austin, you had the opportunity to launch a brand recently, and you really introduced that here last week at the Commodity Classic in Orlando. Tell us about Resgenix. Well, uh, just to start off, um, you know, we, we did get to launch this, you know, here this past week uh, virtually through uh, a, a good old-fashioned Teams meeting. But we were also highlighting it at the Commodity Classic. But if you guys remember back in September, we had a chance to uh, launch this to uh, one of our specialty groups, our turf and ornamental group. So, uh, we've, you know, we've been able to uh, get this out in front of a lot of our sales group in the past. But uh, really, uh, from the standpoint of Resgenix, Resgenix is just a water use management tool uh, that we've been able to uh, pioneer since 2019. Uh, it's really been able to help us be able to get into this space, whether it's in the turf and ornamental space or the agriculture space where it really just helps growers do more with less water or produce more bushels or, or uh, uh, like I like to say, or what we highlight a lot at the Commodity Classic. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, uh, Resgenix was introduced to the turf and ornamental uh, audience uh, last fall. Uh, we went through a great uh, summer uh, period time where it was really uh, utilized in some pretty tough markets uh, in Arizona and Nevada and California in some cases. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of their experiences with that product. Oh, man. Uh, so whenever we look at our year in review, uh, what, we, what we've been able to see is, is you know, those growers that are um, uh, really challenged from the uh, amount of water that they're able to use uh, on a year-in, year-out basis, understanding that's one of their most coveted resources. It really just helps us to be able to manage that water and make that water more available to the crops and in situations that we're applying it in. So uh, really been able to make it to where if you've got a sandy soil, uh, it allows you to increase your holding capacity and be able to increase that volumetric uh, moisture content of that soil for a longer period of time, but also, um, you know, allowing us to be able to get the most out of every drop that we do get out on the farm. I think that's really important uh, as we take a look at water. It's becoming more and more scarce, uh, regulated for sure in some markets. Um, so having a product like Resgenix in your portfolio to help, you know, offset some of those uh, restrictions and some of those challenges, whether you're irrigation or in the dryland market, uh, it's a good tool to have in the toolbox. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh I can argue with the flexibility of Resgenix, you know, whether it's going out behind the planter to really be able to help utilize that moisture for 
you know, activating soil applied herbicides, whether it's, you know, in the middle of the season, you know, wanting to make sure that, you know, whenever things start to get hot and dry, we've got the water available for the plants or at the end of the year when we're really trying to add those extra bushels, you know, I think it's really got a good fit across every farming operation, no matter what sort of crops you're growing or your cultural practice that you have. Yeah. And I think that's important. Um, you guys have been working with Resgenics, not just in irrigated markets, but also dryland markets. And as we mentioned earlier, the turf and ornamental market. Uh, Nick Hurdle's joining us here from the R&D group. Nick, what are some of the results that your team's experienced uh, as you guys have evaluated this brand? So we've looked at Resgenics six, since 2019. and some of our experiments, we compared irrigation with 100% water or say your standard grower irrigation techniques. And then with Resgenics, we reduced the water inputs to 80% of the grower standard and added a gallon of Resgenics per acre. And after 14 days, the soil still held on to more water with Resgenics compared to the soil alone. This was also noted in a few bushel increase. And what Resgenics will also do, in addition to the additional water uh, in the soil um, profile, it will help nutrients be taken up through that water, help transportation of those nutrients within the plant, and help with, uh, say, your photosynthesis, your sugar transports, and other physiological processes that will then translate into that two or three bushel increase. Well, that's that's a piece that I think we often forget about water management tools. We're so concerned about conserving water, making sure that we have water in that profile. But it's that other stuff that counts, too. Water's got a purpose, and that's to translocate, you know, uh, uh, nutrients uh, uh, through that plant, through the root system, all the way through the plant. And having that extra, uh, as you indicated, it's about 20%. Is that right? It's, yes, it is. It's about 20%. About 20% extra moisture in, in that soil profile. So that's really going to contribute to that investment for your fertility and whatever may be in that soil to drive that up through that entire plant. Right. And overall, it's just going to have a, you know, a, a greener plant, a prettier looking plant. And though we, it, the prettiness may not translate into, say, a, a extra bushel, it's still going to be good to look at. Yeah. And I think that's important depending upon your crop. You know, today we're talking about resgenics for ag, but if you're in the turf and ornamental business, for example, we're working, uh, Austin, I know last year in some of our trials, we were working with some major league baseball teams. Turf is very important <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're playing baseball. Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, you think about whether it's baseball or, or golf or any other application like that, you know, standing water is never a good situation. So being, allowing that water to be able to percolate through and being able to really just be able to make the playing surface more, pl more playable on more occasions. I think, you know, allowing those guys to run people through there and being able to understand the aesthetics of, uh, you know, a playing field is, I think is very important as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so talk to us a little bit about Resgenics as it relates to maybe some dry land uh, uh, applications, guys. You know, clearly it's going to have a great fit for ag as far as irrigation, but let's talk about some of those dry lands. When, when would a dry land grower apply Resgenics? Uh, like first, uh, when I think about Resgenics and being applied, uh, I think, you know, the sky's the limit on the flexibility. So, you know, ideally what we would like to have is we'd like to have an application early in the season. So whether that's um, mixed in with your burn down applications behind the planter, et cetera, uh, or like in the middle of the season, you know, when you're making your lay-by applications, you know, like last time you can get across the field just where you can get that, when you get that spray mix to the, to the uh, soil profile, but then also like there at the end of the season, you know, whenever, 
you know, it's like the dog days of summer when, sure. when it's really hot, really dry, you know, whether it's a corn plant, you're seeing it, you know, curling up and not being able to take advantage of all that sunlight that it's getting, or, you know, just thinking about, uh, making, you know, overall, um, everyone's land more productive. So, sure. you know, understanding that, you know, not every grower has, you know, their tip top land, you know, everybody's got some variability to their soils and we're just looking to be able to help increase that average. Right. So, uh, helping put more money in the bank for the growers and, yep. you know, uh, being, allowing them to produce more on more acres. Cause I know I like, I like seeing that yield monitor bump up to that 250, 300 mark, but if right. I can, but if I can put more bushels at the mill and in the in the bin, I think you know everybody's going to be a lot better off. And the key, as I understand it, with Riz Jennings, the key is to get this product applied to the soil. It has to be on the soil. Getting it on the plants probably not going to do us a whole lot of good. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's really active in the soil profile. Um, you know, uh, we really want to make sure that it gets down to the ground to where, to where we build up that bank that that uh, bank that Riz Jennings bank sure. into the soil, just where it can be most effective. So you guys had a, a lot of conversations this week at the Commodity Classic with a wide range of growers from all over the country. What were some takeaways that you learned about Resgenics, and you know what was the response by some of those growers? Well, uh, when I when I got questions at the at the booth for about Resgenics, it was all across the board. Like, oh man, you know, uh, how long have you guys been working on this? Man, this is something that's really going to be beneficial to me. Uh, all across the board, there's a lot of interest and, in, you know, sure. uh, no matter, no matter where you were, whether you're from Alabama to California, to Minnesota, to M Montana, you know, we, we had growers in every session really asking a lot of the questions about, you know, how does it work? You know, all those sorts of things. So, um, really something it looks like that, uh, a lot of growers are interested in and maybe it can help fit, uh, and make them more productive. You know, I had an opportunity to talk to a grower at the Classic, and, was, and we were visiting about Resgenics from, he's from uh, western South Dakota, and he was talking about his corn crop, and, you know, they had some pretty tough dry spells, as they typically do in that western corn belt. And as he was listening to your presentation, both of your presentations around Resgenics, his comment to me was, wow, I just, often I just need that extra week or two, and it sounds like Resgenics might stretch my water out another week or two, which could be very critical for pollination, uh, for, for critical times down uh, throughout the entire growing season. Exactly. You know, whenever you apply resogenics, you will have that increased soil water content, which, as you mentioned, in photosynthesis with corn, or not photosynthesis, pollination with corn, a lack of water during pollination can be detrimental. So that's exactly what resogenics can be designed to do is allow you to have that extra few percentages or few percentage of water in the soil in the soil to help through that pollination time period. Yeah, we got the same kind of conversation. Uh, that guy was from South Dakota. We talked to a grower. I think he was in uh, Alabama, talked a little bit yep, about South that. South Alabama. South, Southern Alabama. He had some pretty uh, uh, sandy soils. I'm thinking, man, if I can stretch that out an extra five or seven or eight days of having that uh, water retained, that's huge for my crop. Well, just being able to take the pressure off that much-needed rain, you know, whether it's, you know, we're talking about late July into August, you know, when, when we're really just, you know, living and dying by that last shower, you know, it, right. it helps us be able to take the pressure off, you know, making sure that, you know, uh, if we miss that last rain or, or we just so happen to hit it just right, you know, we're going to be in a lot favorable situation uh, whenever we come to put those combines in the field. You know, Austin, um, a lot of these historically, a lot of these water management types of products have honestly, you know, 
yeah, they all kind of work, but they've had some issues with them, some baggage. Um, ResGenX really doesn't have that baggage. What I mean by that is it doesn't have that issue with mixing. You can really mix this product with about anything out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, this has gave us, or I guess ResGenX has really given us a chance to bring these water management tools into the 21st century. So, uh, you know, you highlighted one good one around compatibility. So uh, whether it's compatibility with water or herbicide, a fungicide, insecticide, a, a fertilizer, you know, what we're seeing is it's really, it's really flexible. So it's, it's not going to impact any of the um, efficacy of any of those products. It's something that, you know, we, we're seeing to be really flexible. And then also too, uh, for those of you out there that, that uh, have familiar with some of these products in the past, you know, there's no special equipment, you know, it can go out through your, through your irrigation, like we've seen in the past with your UAN and things like that or uh, throughout your, your spray rig, you know, so, or subsurface irrigation or drip irrigation. So, you know, uh, the sky's the limit when it comes to exactly how we get it put out or when we get it put out. So it's really one of those things that's really improved our customer experience uh, with our water management tools. It's definitely a wide range of flexibility, which is awesome for any grower out there, no matter what kind of operation they have. I guess the other thing that, you know, What's really exciting, we highlighted it at the Classic, is this product really kind of fits that narrative for being a very, I guess you could call it a sustainable type of product. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're in a situation where um, we're in a situation where, um, you know, growers are, are under like tight, um, I'm going to say restrictions, whether it comes to water or how they're doing their job. But the one thing that I can say is they, they're never going to be okay with producing less. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that we have a growing population to feed, we got to make, we got to make more fuel. We got to make more fiber, you know, we got to make more food. And so this is an opportunity for us to be able to be conscious of our resources that we have and be able to get the most from them. So understanding that, you know, we're really wanting to be able to be on that side where, you know, once you know, when we get put in that situation, we're doing the right thing by the grower and providing them solutions to be able to fit with a ever-changing marketplace. Yeah, and definitely a lot of regulations out there, a lot, a lot of uh, restrictions on water usage and some markets. And uh, boy, this is a really great solution for that. Guys, um, Nick, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the rates and, you know, what, what what's the best process here? And how many times can a guy use this on his or her crop throughout the season? So there is a rate range on the label ranging from about half gallon to 1.5 gallons per acre. Okay. And you can apply it up to three times an acre. So early in the season, mid-season, and late season are about your prime application timings. Okay. So a lot of uh, variability there based on if you're getting hammered with a ton of rain, maybe you skip that application. Right, but right. Things are looking a little dry. Boy, you got three shots to come in there and exactly. try to save the day a little bit. Is there anything else that you, some of the growers might want to experience, uh, Austin, as they take a look at ResGenix for this uh, growing season? Well, when I, when I think about the usage of ResGenix, you know, uh, you know, we, we really want to build up that that uh, soil profile with okay. ResGenix. So, you know, of course, uh, as we get into a program where we can use more than one shot a year and, you know, we're, we're utilizing all that moisture there. But the big thing to th take away from is it's – it's a program type approach. It's really for the soil. And, you know, as, as much as we can get down there to that, I think we could be uh, very useful there. Awesome. 
Well, guys, I want to thank you both for uh, joining us here today on FieldLink. Austin Anderson, Helena Products uh, Brand Manager here in Memphis, and Nick Hurdle, also Research and Development Specialist here in uh, Helena in Memphis as well. Guys, I want to thank you both for joining us here today on FieldLink. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us on this episode of FieldLink. Be sure to subscribe to the FieldLink podcast wherever you get your podcasts or find us on YouTube so you don't miss an episode as we visit with growers, agronomists, and industry specialists about technology, markets, innovation, and the people working hard to keep agriculture the number one industry in the nation.